0: at the intersection of true crime and real estate you'll find crime estate i'm heather and
1: my name is elena as real estate agents and true crime junkies we view crimes through a different lens so walk through the door of some of the most notorious true crimes with us and discover
0: how sometimes the scene of the crime has its own story to tell Hey, y'all. We are back with the Crime Estate Podcast of international and epic proportions today. And I'm going to be honest, I was a little bit frightened to do this episode at first, but in the end, I thought it was a story worth telling. Of course, I'm Heather here with my good friend and fellow realtor, Elena, and our fabulous producer, Melanie. And Mel, I need to apologize in advance to you on this episode today. (laughs) Really? Why is that? Yeah. So, you know, for those of you who have been with us from the beginning, you know we give Alana a hard time about some of the things she's scared of, uh, in particular ghosts <laughs>
1: and the ocean and traveling to Mexico. That's true. But I feel like those are a lot of fears. People have those fears. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, that's, that's a common one. Ghosts are terrifying. No one can argue with that, for sure. And I'm not a strong swimmer, so I have a healthy fear of the ocean, I would say. And Mexico, even though I am of Mexican-American descent, it really freaks me out. Like I don't I don't want to go. It sounds like really cool and the pictures are amazing, but it also sounds sketchy. So I feel like all those fears are valid. Yeah, and,
0: and to be fair, like, you also won't go with us to Canada or Europe. Correct. It's Correct. just sort of international yeah. travel just tra- in general yeah, Exactly. That you're yeah. afraid of. I'm good
1: with here. Uh, Denver, Florida, all those places, but yeah, yeah. But
0: so listeners, we, Mel and I, have been trying to get Elena to commit to a trip to Mexico for the last year, and I think this episode may mean that that ship has sailed yeah. on that excursion, and we'll have to pick a new location for our first crime estate retreat,
1: Mel. Yeah, so do you want me to go or not? I mean, you definitely, (laughs) there is no vacation without you, for sure. Uh,
2: Yeah, I feel like we should have at least waited until we had a Cabo trip booked (laughs) for this episode. But now, uh, I know a little bit about it. It's a fascinating and timely story. And so in that regard, I'm glad you're going to tell the story today. So let's go ahead and jump right in.
0: So our story today takes us to the Roman neighborhood of Mexico City. For those of you that might not know, Mexico City is the oldest capital city in the Americas, founded in 1325, and it's also the largest Spanish-speaking city in the world. Mexico City is very much made up of different neighborhoods or boroughs, each with their own vibe and identity. Now, I'm going to ask Mel to help us out here as she is most familiar with Mexico City being our resident world traveler.
2: Yeah. Kind of the opposite, Elena, is if I could travel internationally any day, I would do it. I mean, that is my passion. That's probably, if you ask me what my number one hobby is, is planning trips and going on trips. And I love Mexico City. I I didn't know if you knew that, Heather, when you had picked this story, how much I love Mexico City, and I'm on a campaign to get everyone other than Elena, to go visit it. So I've been to the, I've been there three times in the last couple of years, and I just can't wait to go back. Like we were just actually talking about that, my husband and I yesterday. Um, I've gone for romantic getaways with my husband. I've done like girls trips where we have met up and like stayed in cool, funky Airbnbs. I've gone there for work where like we stayed at the St Regis and had butlers. I mean, so I've done a little bit of it all, but I think Mexico City is amazing now. Many of our listeners who've never been to Mexico City or, as they write and always call it a CDMX, um, may have some preconceived notions of what it is. And from Dallas, it is such a quick flight away, and yet it's a world away. Mexico City is the largest city in North and Central America, and Americans often think of it as smoggy and high crime. And I'm sure you know part of that is very true. But let's be honest now, where you as a tourist would ever go you would never see that. And it is amazing. Um, I, the first time we went, we literally planned to go to Mexico City based upon food. Like there are multiple of the top 50 best restaurants in the world in Mexico City, and they are amazing and uh, cheaper than you would have in America for that quality. But also like the street food is great. There are some of the most like bougie neighborhoods. I remember the first time I went and people were asking me, "Oh, is it safe?" I'm like, "Uh, I think my hotel is next to like the Lamborghini dealership. I promise you, it is so much like, uh, you know, depending upon where you stay, of course, there are areas that are so much more fancy than my Dallas neighborhood. Um, there is great museums, Uh, There's the beautiful and huge, and I'm sure I will butcher it, but Chapultepec Park. It is this giant park in the center of Mexico City that is like double the size of Central Park, and that's where you find a lot of the amazing museums. It's very, very green.
0: Anyway, I could go on and on. We'll, stop, well the, stop the episode, because now I want to go. We'll, well end it there. Absolutely, the and I feel like, you know, if Mexico City Tourism Board would like to sponsor <laughs> the podcast, maybe, you know, we're going to get a lot of people there.
2: Uh, well, I wanted, I, I wanted to really kind of start off with this, because, you know, I know a lot of people don't necessarily have this impression. And so when we talk about kind of the terrors that, you know, you know where we're going to in this story, I want you to keep it in perspective. Um, and, and honestly, that's why it, it was so surprising, because this scene of this crime is in the Roman neighborhood. And as the travel website, Vahero.com, says... Colorful Roma is the hipster heart of Mexico City. I mean, this is a trendy neighborhood, just west of Centro Historico, hugging the eastern edge of the Condesa neighborhood. Roma is the perfect place to stay. And if you're looking to shop at cute boutiques, sip incredibly good coffee and enjoy close proximity to many of Mexico City's biggest attractions. And originally a neighborhood for Mexico City's upper class, Roma fell on hard times after the 1985 earthquake. But happily, the neighborhood has enjoyed a recent renaissance. Locals love Roma's combination of art deco mansions, colorful street art, and of course, the neighborhood's hipster vibe. And and while most of Mexico City is safe, especially anywhere you would go as a tourist, Roma is considered one of the safest neighborhoods in the town. And I have to say, it's um, it is the home to the Contramar restaurant, which is an amazing Mexico seafood restaurant that I've been to multiple times. So just giving a shout out that yeah. it is a pretty cool uh, city, and it was rose in popularity because of Alfonso Cuadron's Oscar-winning 2018 film, Roma, was based upon this neighborhood.
1: Y'all you are know, making it sound really nice. <laughs> now I do kind of want to go. <laughs> I think we should plan it. Okay. Listeners,
0: the other thing you should know about Melanie, in addition to her loving to travel... She is an amazing chef. How many cookbooks do you own, Melanie? I have hundreds of
2: cookbook
0: cookbooks, including
2: many uh, cookbooks about Mexico City. I, I don't know if I'm an amazing chef. I have an amazing appreciation for food, and I, <laughs> I, I like to try.
1: Yeah. Well, you're also a big movie buff. So have you seen that movie?
2: Uh, yeah, I have. Uh, it, it, it actually takes place in the 1970s Roma. And what's cool about it, it you know, for 2018, it didn't receive just best foreign language movie. It, the director got best director of any movie mm-hmm. that year. So
0: pretty cool. Huh. Okay. Well, I feel like maybe Roma is where we go when we do our retreat. So you're right. You know, for years, Mexico City did have sort of a bad reputation. People thought it had this smog problem. But it has really worked hard over the last 15 years to clean up the environment and now, like you said, it's considered to be one of the best places to travel, especially for business travelers in the world. In particular, Roma has actually become really popular with digital nomads, you know, people who work remotely and are paid in either dollars or pounds, but they want to take advantage of the inexpensive rent in other cities. If I were young and single, I would be doing that all over the world. Well, and part partly because I think you know of this digital nomad trend, um, and you know people living in other countries who can afford to live very well on you know different currencies. It, it's really made living in Mexico City for people that are native to Mexico City harder because housing affordability has become an mm. issue.
2: It's the same thing kind of like with the Airbnb, V, v VARBO effect in a lot of major U.S. cities that people wanting to come in for short periods of time with higher, uh, maybe like able to spend more are put, pushing up the rental prices in these neighborhoods and pushing out the long-term um, like, you know, tenants and locals.
0: Yeah. And, you know, like you said, it's a problem we see in a lot of cities, Dallas not excluded. But I want to come back to that line of discussion after I tell you the story of the brothers, Andre and Jorge Torado, and their uncle, Jose Luis Gonzalez. Now, imagine, y'all, that a piece of land has been in your family since 1325. Can you begin to easily follow the chain of title that occurred as a result of, you know,
1: deaths, divorces, sales of the property over time? It's really hard to wrap your head around that even on a less extreme scenario, a piece... Of land or a house has been in the family since 1900 would have changed hands, what, four or five times by now?
0: Yeah. And I think that's a lot more common in some of these urban settings in other countries as well to see, you know, generations of families still living together. And, you know, if your great uncle owned a brownstone in New York since 1920 and you're moving to New York, it would just make sense for you to ask to live with him in order to save on rent, you know, et cetera. Or in another scenario, if your great uncle needed assistance and you were planning to move to town anyway, You'd live with him to help out, and that's exactly what Andre and Jorge did. Now, both brothers are somewhat famous in the entertainment industry, especially in Mexico. Andre is the youngest at 27 years old, and he had several roles in movies and local plays. Jorge, 35, was also a talented musician who had managed the music career of other musicians, and these two fit in perfectly to the hipster vibe of Roma. The family home that Jorge and Andre moved into at Medellin 113 is a two-story stone structure with an arched wrought iron front door. From the real estate description, it was built in 1925, was around 2,300 square feet, and is recognized as urban cultural heritage by the National Institute of Fine Arts. The second story features matching arched iron doors opening to a Juliet balcony. The overall feel is of a stately property in the heart of the city, and this property is owned by... Well, actually, that's where this story gets a little bit complicated. Bear with me as I share with you what I've pieced together of Jorge and Andre's family tree. Now, one of their uncles, as I previously mentioned, is Jose Luis Gonzalez. Jose is married to Jorge and Andre's mom's sister, Margarita Maria Ochoa. And it's two of Margarita's brothers, so that would also be Jorge and Andre's mom's brothers who owned the property at Medellin 113. They inherited that property from their grandmother. Are you all with me so far? I believe so. Okay. One brother, only identified by the initials of CGOA, was living in the property but fell ill in May of 2022. When he passed away not long afterwards, Margarita and Jorge traveled to Roma for the funeral and on the advice of an attorney stayed in Roma... In the home that her brother had lived in, because there was some debate over who really owned the home. And as the old adage says, possession is nine cents of the law. You've got it. You've got it. So, also living in the home at the time was CGOA's caregiver, a woman by the name of Blanca Abrego. Now, Blanca had been his caregiver since at least 2004. And as part of the agreement they had, she earned 1,800 pesos a week and lived on the ground floor of the house rent free, along with her daughter and her grandchildren. CGOA lived on the second floor of the house. And given that this had been going on since 2004, the family was pretty familiar with Blanca and her family. In fact, in 2019, when her brother became really ill for the first time, Blanca asked Margarita if she would sign paperwork listing Blanca as his, quote, concubine, so that she would be eligible for a widow's pension if and when he passed away. And you guys, Margarita agreed to this. But when he actually passed away in 2022, Blanca took it one step further,
1: claiming that he had left everything to her, including the house. Wait, what? First, what in the world is a widow's pension? And second, how can she say it's hers without a will?
0: Okay, so from my quick Googling, it sounds like in Mexico, a pension can be passed down to a common law wife which technically she could claim because in Mexico, you only have to live together for two consecutive years to be common law spouses. That would have allowed her to continue to receive about 90% of his pension benefits. And look, I'm obviously not an expert in Mexico family law or property law for that matter, but it sounds like property rights do not automatically go to the spouse in common law status marriages. So in order for her to inherit the house, they would have had to have like a different marriage status or he would have had to put it in his will.
1: Okay, I think that makes sense. If we have any listeners who are experts in Mexican property law, we'd love to hear from you about this. We really would,
0: yeah. yeah. Plus yeah. I'm just impressed if you're an expert in Mexican property <laughs> law. That sounds like a fabulous line of work. Now, when Margarita heard that Blanca was claiming the home, she immediately thought that was suspect. So she went to the bank and found that her brother had named her Margarita to take over all of his bank accounts. But the one account that Blanca had access to, you know, probably for like household expenses and taking care of him, that account had already been depleted. So not really sure what to do or how to proceed at this point. And also this is just me assuming here, you know, taking into account that Blanca had taken good care of her brother for almost 20 years. Margarita and Jose agreed to let Blanca and her family continue living on the first floor until they find another place to live. Mm. So, in the meantime, they invite Andre and Jorge to live with them. It's a way for the aspiring actor and musician to save some money. And it's also just good company for Margarita and Jose. And so, while all of this is going on, Margarita is going about the business of settling her brother's affairs. And per her other brother's request, remember, the house is owned by two brothers, one of which has now passed away. So, the one that's still living says, Hey, you're there. Would you just sort of go ahead and take care of getting this house sold and settled? Like, mm-hmm. I'm not. In the city, it would be easier to have some boots on the ground taking care of that. So she's sort of helping her brother get all this settled. Okay. On December 16th at 2 p.m., Blanca's daughter's boyfriend, a man with the last name of Laura, who maybe didn't technically live at the house, but you know how that goes sometimes, maybe like spent most of his time there, walked from the first floor to the second floor and asked Jose to move his car. He said that they had a technician there who was going to fix the washing machine and his car was in the way. So Jose leaves to do that, and several minutes later, Laura goes back to the second story, and this time tells Margarita that Jose has fallen and hurt his knee.
1: mm I
0: don't feel good about this. Well, I feel like your radar is always spot on. You really shouldn't have a good feeling about this. Because when Margarita goes downstairs to check on Jose, she finds him, and this is a quote, lying on the floor, handcuffed with his face covered in tape. That's nuts. Mm-hmm. In her interview with the police, she continues to say that she saw, quote, a group of between 8 to 10 people, all of whom were wearing face coverings. They pounced on her, and she was promptly gagged and blindfolded. So now with both Margarita and Jose bound, the kidnappers take them to a bedroom. They lay Jose on the floor and Margarita on the bed, and they begin to torture Margarita with electric shocks until she gives up the bank account information that they're requesting. What? So not long after this, Elena, the kidnappers bring Audrey and Jorge into the same room, interrogating them about the bank account information as well. I'm going to read you an excerpt from an article now. We'll, of course, link this source in our show notes, because I just don't think there's a better way to share the rest of the details of this crime with you other than in Margarita's own words. So she says, from that moment on, I began to hear loud noises of aggression towards my nephews. I assume it was them because I also heard kicks as if they were defending themselves. I also heard that someone was choking. I cannot specify the time that passed, but eventually stopped hearing the voices of my nephews. I heard a woman say, this one is already dead. Someone opened a garbage bag and dragged it across the floor. When they moved my husband, I can assure you that he was alive because I heard a groan. After that, I didn't hear anything else. Sad. Yeah, and I mean, I can't imagine listening to that going on. It reminds me a little bit about the DC Mansion murders, the Mm Savopoulos family. Remember, they were all, Mm -hmm. you know, taken hostage and tortured. And Mm -hmm. So so Margarita ends up staying in this room with a man who was guarding her. She thought they were going to kill her. I mean, that was her experience. Mm -hmm. She thought everybody else was dead. And a second kidnapper then comes in at one point and threatens to rape her. She told him not to dare because, quote, she could be his grandmother, end quote. I love that spirit. Mm. But even so, the man assaulted her with, quote, sexual touching. After that, they left her alone. She managed to free herself from the blindfold and the ropes that gagged her. But when she tried to reach the roof to ask for help, her captors discovered her attempted escape. They tied her up again and covered her head with a cloth. Then the two men took her to the cellar. At first, they tied her to a wheelchair and then they moved her to a bed. On Sunday, after two days had passed, she began to feel dehydrated and asked for water. They gave her a glass and some apple slices, and the oldest female squatter, Blanca, who remember is a nurse, treated the wounds on Margarita's left foot and allowed her to bathe, which resulted in her discovering another bleeding wound on the left side of her chest. Now Margarita hears Blanca say that they had a problem with the bodies, and the nurse was starting to freak out and wanted to get rid of the evidence. Hmm.
1: So they've had these dead bodies in the house for like two days now. That's crazy. I don't know what to think. I've got a lot of things going around in my head.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm with you. And you have to wonder what their plan was. I mean, there were eight to 10 of them. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So that's a lot of people to know about a crime and keep their mouth shut, number one. right? And number two, how did they think they were going to transport these bodies Mm -hmm. out of the house? Right. Seems like not a very well thought out plan. No, not at all. So like we said, you know, at this point, it's been two days. and Let's remember, Jorge and Andre are like hip guys in their 20s and 30s. It's really unusual for them to go radio silent with their friends mm-hmm. or on social media. And so according to an article in El País, when the Tirado brothers stopped responding to messages, their friends began suspecting that something was wrong and posted alerts on social media. Margarita and Jose weren't responding to their children's attempts to contact them either, so one of their sons in Jalisco decided to go to Mexico City and check on them. According to our sources, the first floor tenants refused to let him enter the building, so he went to the authorities and filed for the eviction of the nurse and the two others. Now, it's this eviction complaint that sets everything into motion, because when the Mexico City police went to the home on Medellin Street, they were also prevented from entering the property. So the police quickly obtained a court order to access the property and confronted the nurse and her relatives. When they entered the home, they found Jose, Jorge, and Andre all dead, bound and gagged with evidence that they had been tortured, but they found Margarita still alive, tied to that wheelchair in the basement. Blanca, her daughter, her daughter's boyfriend, they were all still in the house, and they were immediately arrested.
1: Wow. So we think that they did this, that they could claim
0: the house? I mean, that seems to be the motive. Can you imagine living in a house with three dead bodies No, for a couple of days? No. I feel like this was
2: really dumb. I mean, like, I mean, it's horrible and tragic and I I don't want to sugarcoat that. But I mean, especially when the the guy came in and like everyone was knocking on the
0: door, like they
2: did not have a a Mm -hmm. plan for Mm -hmm. this at all.
0: No, I I agree. It seems really dumb, but. You're right. Like, I think the motive was so that they could claim the house. And apparently that's an epidemic in Mexico right now. According to an article in the Seattle Times, authorities have known for years that there are armed violent gangs that specialize in taking over houses. The trend is enabled by the fact that many properties, perhaps as many as one fifth of the homes, have no legal papers or have titles listed in the names of the dead people who left no will. Like, Mel, very much like you were saying, like this Texas Monthly article, like, you know, they just don't have the paperwork to show that they own it. According to a 2021 report by the city's government's public policy evaluation agency, man, that's a mouthful, the percentage of homes in the capital that are occupied by squatters that have ownership in legal dispute or that have owners who died without a will rose from 10.9% in 2010 to 19.9% in 2020.
1: That's insane.
0: I mean, like 20% of home ownership, you don't know if, like the title is valid or not, or there's squatters living in the house. I I can't even imagine. Mm -mm. Now, remember, Margarita had mentioned that she saw eight to 10 mass kidnappers early on. Police initially thought that Blanca and her family had hired like these professional hitmen. But after doing some digging and some more analysis, it appears they actually just, you know, asked their friends and family to help them.
1: (laughs) That explains the sloppiness. Uh, It definitely (laughs) does.
0: Yeah. So by March of 2023, they had arrested at least seven people related to, you know, this crime.
1: Why do they think Margarita wasn't killed? So the
0: police believe it's because they wanted her to be able to sign the deed Mm. of the home over to the kidnappers. Remember, it was her brother. So it would have, you know, Mm -hmm. all of that would have passed down to her. And again... We're not experts at researching Mexican property sales, <laughs> you know, researching or Mexican uh, internet, law or Mexican <laughs> law. Yeah. Just we are just experts in margaritas. <laughs> it does appear, though, that this property has been listed and sold since these events. Um, it was listed at 14 million Mexican pesos, which is around about eight hundred sixteen thousand dollars. And the property listing doesn't allude to this dramatic crime that occurred there. But it does mention, quote, live in a piece of Mexico City's history and enjoy the perfect blend of classic elegance and modern conveniences in this charming home in Colonia Roma Norte. Don't miss the opportunity to be a part of this legacy. That's awful. I mean, that was awful. And I mean, it was a very recent crime. Right. After, you know, I mean, I guess if you think about it, she was in the process of selling the house mm-hmm, anyway.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Alana, have you ever sold a property that had like uh, shady title issues?
1: No. Mm. No, I haven't. Thank goodness. I'm not going to Thank goodness. Yeah.
0: I had a deal years ago. I mean, probably 15 years ago, we were selling a commercial building and there was, you know, I'm pretty sure the title company and the buyer were, mm. you know, much like the story we talked about um, in Iowa and John's murder house where the the attorney and the mm. buyer had this entity together and were maybe working together. I think mm. there was sort of a similar situation here. And so when we sent all the documents to the title company and they sent us the commitment back showing, you know, what they were going to sell, they included the lot next door in the legal description. So it was like lots one and two of this block mm-hmm. as opposed to just lot one. No. And we were very specific that lot two did not convey. It was mm-hmm. like, you know, let's say it was a, an automobile shop with a parking lot next door. We were like, we're just selling the automobile mm-hmm. shop. Mm-hmm. We are not selling the parking lot. Um, so we caught that, but it was definitely like, I see what
1: you're trying yes, to do. You're trying to slip shady. this. Yeah. So started the episode, not wanting to go at all. And then in the middle, I was like, oh, I could do that. And now I don't again, but it but, reminded me of something Oh, did okay. I tell y'all that my youngest son asked over the Christmas break. He asked for a passport. <gasps> no, so I know after the my next, own heart, the next request is going to be to leave the country. I love that.
0: So Elena's son is great at finding these amazing Airbnbs. Mm -hmm. Like that's one of his favorite pastimes. So maybe you just let
1: him plan the trip. I'm not going to an Airbnb in Roma, for sure.
0: Well, okay, I stayed in an Airbnb in Condesa, which is the neighborhood right next
2: door, and it was lovely. But
1: what about the, the, what did it say? Well,
0: you just make sure there are no squatters when you get there. (laughs) If you show up and somebody's there, maybe you don't go in.
1: Got it. Okay. Rule number one.
0: Okay. I I
2: will start. I mean,
0: let me plan
2: you a trip. Let me take you on a trip, but let me plan you a trip. I will find like the most safe, like, um, situation where you can just dip your toe.
0: I feel like maybe maybe she needs a four seasons.
2: Uh, yeah. Well, like I mean, At least even the initially. JW Marriott in Mexico City. I mean, when I stayed, now granted, it was probably the, the first time I stayed there was like five years ago. It was well priced, put it that way. It was much better priced than you would ever oh. fa- find in America for an equivalent uh, tier hotel.
1: Oh. Okay, I'm All feeling right. it. All right. I mean, I'll 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 try. I love that. Okay. So,
0: would you live there? Would you buy it? Would you, you know? Pulling out your pocketbook, how would you spend your money on this house?
1: I mean, I have to go no for the reasons that we discussed already. Like, I it's in Mexico, yeah. so you would never live there. Is that what you are saying? It's it's it. Your ancestors. It sounds, fascinating. Just, it sounds beautiful and fascinating. So, I'm still gonna go no, though. Okay,
2: Mel. I mean, yeah, I would definitely live there or, or own it because I know how much the value of the property is just going to go up and up um, over time. Despite this horrible crime in there, especially if, you know because it was kind of um, not in the best shape at the time. You know, an older elderly man had lived there for a few years, so it doesn't seem like with a little bit of work you could probably get a really good return on your investment. Now, I'm obviously not a realtor, so I can't say that I would sell it, but I probably would say no to selling it just because it sounds really
0: complicated. All right, Samel, so you would live there, Elena, you would not. I would not live there. I would sell it. Um, I don't think I would live there. I feel like the torture would bother me, mm, right?
1: Like maybe the like torture more than the murder would bother you.
0: Yeah, or okay. than the death. Yeah. Okay. I don't like torture. I feel like that
1: just leaves a bad
0: vibes. Bad vibes. Okay. I yeah. Got it. yeah. But I would like to go to Roma. So,
2: and I, I would I sell would, it. I would take you, <laughs> and you know, and we can FaceTime. <laughs> 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 I'll go. I'll go. Well, you'd have to get a passport.
0: Okay. Well, I'm getting my little one one. Again, everybody knows I grew up in a little town in Kentucky and our high school graduation gift our um our principal and our class president at the time, they got together and they partnered with local businesses to give everybody in the graduating class a passport. It's amazing. Oh, it oh, is amazing. And sweet. they yeah, it's so great and they so they came to the school and they took our pictures and like they had the paperwork there to fill out. And our principal is like, now take this and like go explore the world. And as people who grew up in this tiny little town, like, I don't know, every time I think about it, I get a little weepy. And so, well, I hope everyone found today's episode interesting. You know, reminder, we are always looking for fascinating crime estates to cover. Um, next week's episode is actually brought to you by April. April, thank you so much for sending us a recommendation. She sent it via our email at crimeestatepodcast at gmail.com. So thanks for that. We might have a little sp- something special coming your way. So uh, check your email.
2: Yeah, April, thank you very much for the recommendation. And if you're loving the podcast, like all good podcasters say, we would really appreciate you leaving us a five-star review on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And in your review, tell us why you think it'd be fun to do a live Zoom mini-sode with your podcast club or just a group of friends for a wine night. We are going to do one
1: interactive podcast recorder, so you could join us. We're really looking forward to this. And we'll notify winners on our Instagram page, so make sure you sign your review with your Insta handle and follow the show so you know if you're the lucky winner
2: and that's right we'll announce the winners quarterly so make sure to share the podcast with all your friends leave have them leave us a
0: review as well it's gonna be so fun plus you'll get to see all of the shenanigans that we leave on the cutting room floor and you really don't want to miss that um so that's it for this episode we'll be back with another crime estate next week bye
1: bye hey y'all thanks for listening and being a part of our crime estate family if you're curious about today's
0: featured crime estate you can find additional photos and details from today's episode online at crimeestate.com or on Facebook and Instagram by following at Crime estate Podcast.
1: Have a crime estate we should cover? Let us know. Shoot us an email at crimeestatepodcast at gmail.com. Until next week.